Hello and welcome back to the European Show. This is episode four and after an eventful weekend of football and the Champions League group stage draw, we will be looking back at all of it. And to join me in doing so, as always, is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. Thank you very much, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So the first place we'll start is with the Champions League group stage draw, where obviously we were given one very good group, or two very good groups, and I would say the rest are relatively relatively average. We have some good storylines coming out of this, but I think we'll just go through the good groups first, and obviously the standout is Group C, where we have Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Inter Milan and Victoria Pilsen. Victoria Pilsen have obviously drawn the short straw here, but we do obviously see Robert Lewandowski return to Bayern Munich a couple of months after he he left. And obviously, I think from what we see initially, Bayern Munich will storm this group. Barcelona could potentially slip up again, as Inter Milan are obviously no mugs. In this group, uh, obviously you can't take Victoria Pilsen for dead. One never knows uh, who can end up first in the table. And we can always be surprised this is, after all, football. <laughs> However, it is very unlikely. Um, I think that Bayern will dominate the group. They're just a level above uh, everyone else entirely. Barcelona haven't found their feet yet. They, they've been playing decent, decently in, in the league, but they haven't had any serious tests. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't confidently say that they can top the group. Inter, meanwhile, are bent on and off. Uh, on their good days, they're very good and probably capable of beating the current Barca team. But uh, they don't always keep that up. And so if if they don't always show their best level, they could see themselves tumbling into Europa League. Uh, but yeah, I think that second spot is really contested between uh, Barca and Inter, with Barca being slight favourites uh, due to high consistency. But, uh, but I think they're overall slightly less good. Uh, so yeah, it's quite unpredictable, I would say. I wouldn't call a clear winner. Victoria Poulsen, obviously. It would be a very big surprise if they managed uh, anything other than a fourth spot. But I'd be, I'd be very glad to see it, to be honest. It'd be a, a nice surprise. Obviously, there is no counting out Victoria Poulsen because obviously Sheriff did beat Real Madrid in the group stage last year. Um, and then proceeded and to come obviously forth. Real Madrid did go on. Yeah, and no, they finished third, actually. And Real Madrid did go on to win the Champions League. Then I would say the next group is Group D. It's one of those groups that is all the teams are relatively average in size and and quality. So it does mean you can't really tell who will get out of the group because obviously you have Tottenham, who you may say are the favourites, um, Sporting Lisbon, Marseille, and Eintracht Frankfurt. Obviously Frankfurt have been have started the season relatively poor albeit they did win in the past weekend and they have lost a number of key players in this past summer so I do think they will struggle but obviously we said that last year and they beat the likes of Barcelona and West Ham and Rangers on their way to, to winning the Europa League so I could I could see them if they um, bring up the courage to beat the likes of Marseille and Sporting, that's entirely possible. But I, I think this group's wide open because Tottenham can be unpredictable on their yeah, day. On, on paper, they have the best team, but similar to Inter, when they're at their best, they're capable of beating, well, in this case, anyone in the group. 
but um, it's very often that they're not at their best and they can be pushed over by any of these more medium-sized teams. Marseille is also very on and off. I wouldn't really um, make be, feel feel comfortable making a, a definite prediction about them. But uh, I think, yes, yeah, Sporting and Frankfurt can also give us some nice surprises. Uh, I, I would put money on, on Tottenham going through to the next round. Not necessarily in top spot, though. Uh, my... We mustn't forget that Inter, Antonio Conte's Inter did crash out of the Champions League. Indeed, indeed. To be, to be so, fair, they were in a quite in quite a difficult group. But obviously you could say that then Inter were a very good team and so it it's similar, similar in a way Tottenham could potentially crash out again because they obviously they did so in the Conference League under Antonio Conte as well. It's possible. However, I would... I would say the other champ. Uh, sorry, the next round of sixteen spot, I'd probably uh, presume Sporting. Sorry, then moving on to my other prediction, I think the next um, round of sixteen spot may go to Sporting. A bit controversially, leaving out Frankfurt and Marseille, but uh, I think so far it's kind of, kind of everyone underrates them because no one really watches the Portuguese league. But they're definitely like up there. They're, they're quite good. And uh, they're consistent. I can give and can give each of these bigger teams a fight. Uh, and, and playing away at Portugal is always quite difficult. So I think they're actually going to surprise us and, and qualify to the next round. But uh, obviously, anything could happen. Then Frankfurt and Marseille will fight out for the for the bottom two spots. Um, group A, we see Ajax, Liverpool, Rangers, and Napoli in the group. Obviously, Liverpool have played Napoli and Ajax before in the groups. So they are no new, they're nothing new yeah, to them. I, I think this group is going to be the best one in terms of entertainment. All four teams here play very attractive football. And also they're decently evenly matched. Liverpool is a level above and Rangers is not quite at Ajax and Napoli's level. But but having said that, there's no huge gaps in quality. Like Rangers can give Liverpool a big fight and, and, and anything just as much as anyone else. Then we have Group B, where we see Atletico Madrid, Bayer Leverkusen, Club Rouge and FC Porto all together. It's funny because Atletico has actually played all, all three of these teams in the last five Champions League editions. Uh, so they're very familiar with their rivals. Leverkusen are beginning horribly in the league, but it wouldn't surprise me if they began playing well just to screw over uh, their European rivals. Bruges struggling to find their feet under, under their new managers. Under their new manager, sorry. Porto, once again, these Portuguese teams are always surprisingly um, resilient. I think put up a surprise. Atletico, obviously, going through to the next round, probably at first they are the favourites. Then I would probably put Porto second. Then Bruges, then Leverkusen. Group E, we kind of have the two standouts who probably finish first and second between Milan and Chelsea. Then we have Dynamo Zagreb and Red Bull Salzburg. Obviously, we did see last season with Salzburg, they are very capable of causing an upset and, and a shock. And so they're defi- Salzburg are obviously going to be the team that could potentially ruffle a few feathers between Milan and Chelsea. And if they manage to grab a win off of one of them, they could even push themselves into second place in this group. Yeah, I agree. I mean, RB Salzburg is competitive, but not really on the level. We've seen them in Europe that they can't really compete with the biggest clubs and AC Milan are basically like the best Italian team at the moment they were last season objectively considering they won the league Chelsea 
on and off this season, but still a very, very solid team. And once they kind of get their new signings integrated into the squad, they're just going to leave the, the bottom two uh, teams behind, absolutely. I would put Milan uh, finishing first and Chelsea second, but once again, subject to change depending on how, on the, on how the teams progress throughout the season. Uh, Group F, we have Celtic, RB Leipzig, Real Madrid and Shakhtar Donetsk. Obviously, Real Madrid are the reigning champions. I imagine it will most likely be Real Madrid and RB Leipzig topping this group with relative ease for both of them as well. But um, I don't think we can completely write to Celtic either. Yeah, I do agree. Um, Leipzig don't really have European pedigree. They haven't impressed too much other than that one time they got to... Uh, a Champions League semi-final but uh, but yeah while they're alright in Germany they, they, they can be surprised Real Madrid obviously are going to go through first uncontested uh, I don't really see any other way to go about it uh, they always get Shakhtar and Shakhtar is going to come maybe third we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens this is probably the most boring closed group in group G we have Bristol Dortmund Copenhagen Manchester City and Sevilla obviously we do see Erling Haaland return to Dortmund. And what's interesting is, in Manchester City's run to the Champions League final a couple of years ago, it was Edin Terzic's Brissy Dortmund that gave them a very good fight. And if it wasn't for some dodgy referee, <laughs> could have potentially won the game as well. So I do think that game will be interesting as well. Obviously because of Dortmund being completely different now to those two years ago yeah also Sevilla are probably going to int it well Sevilla are probably going to intentionally crash out and, and come third we, we see it happen all the time maybe allegedly not intentionally but, but we, we all know um, so it'd be surprised if they came second but you never know uh, Sevilla somehow always played Dortmund in the Champions League whether it's in the round of 16 or in the group stage or, or, or in the Europa League sometimes they just play each other in European competitions every season so it's a, it's a bit of a classic to see them facing off against each other again. In their game against each other, Sevilla's beginning horribly. We'll get back to, to that one with Cabo de Liga. So it's not looking very good for Sevilla right now, to be honest. Um, Copenhagen exist. I haven't really seen anything much of them, haven't really heard much of them. Can't really give a good opinion on them. But on paper, they look significantly weaker than all of their rivals. So presumably, they would come last. And then finally, we have Benfica, Juventus, Maccabi Haifa and PSG I think they we will see Juventus and PSG progress however Benfica PSG gives me the type of feeling that PSG will cock it up against them I actually think Juventus will cock it up against them to be fair we're kind of looking at two teams here uh, Juve, Juve and PSG that um, suck at performing in, in the big games like Juve have shown multiple times in the last three seasons that when the pressure's on them especially now that they, that they lost Ronaldo. They just can't perform. Similar with, with PSG, whenever they have a difficult uh, European match, they have the habit to just capitulate. So I actually think um, Juventus will be the weakest link here. And if any of these two big clubs uh, are going to crash out by surprise, it would be Juventus. But it is unlikely. But yeah, Benfica can, can bring some pretty big surprises to the table, I think. So now we will have our break and then we'll be back with the football from the weekend.
Welcome back from our break. We will now look at Syria, where the biggest game of this past weekend was definitely um, Roma versus Juventus. And we did see Roma draw with Juventus. And I think this is definitely one of those pivotal moments where we're finally kind of seeing this Jose Mourinho team come together. Obviously, they did go a goal down as Dusan Vlahovic scored. Um, quite early really, on to give Juventus a the really lead. nice free kick. I didn't even know he could take free kicks, but he took a gorgeous one to, to put the one nil on. And then Tammy Abraham, who will most likely rival Lahovic for the top goalscorer award, scored from a corner or from a, I think it was from from a header, um, from a Paolo Dybala assist. And obviously, I think Juventus kind of then went, okay, we'll, we'll take the point. The classic Jose Mourinho thing and park the bus however they did have another good opportunity to score um, from Abraham again but they did fluff it but obviously as I said this is definitely a turning point for Roma as normally last season they probably would have lost this game but I think we're slowly seeing Jose Mourinho's influence and tactics finally positively affecting this team and it's made even better by the fact that they've signed Andrea Bellotti on a free transfer and so they have substantial backup or potential arrival for Tammy Abraham as well. I I also think that the Mourinho mentality really helped them out in this game as well because they began being dominated pretty badly in the first half uh, with, with Juve really always looking they had more scoring opportunities and they didn't need to convert a goal but uh in the second half they came they came out quite different they came out like instead of like backing down and being like damn this game is really difficult they went out and were like okay we can win this game and we can turn things around the, they took control of the game themselves and that's what and then they ended up scoring from from set pieces which they practiced time and time again it's, it's a bit of a roma specialty uh under Mourinho. And so we kind of saw a team that was willing to fight back, which maybe they wouldn't have, have been like that in previous seasons. Um, Napoli did draw against Fiorentina 0-0. Obviously, there's not really a lot to that then. Um, Ro- Milan beat Bologna 2-0 um, with Raf- Charles de Ketelera getting his first he assist. prodigy um, on for- his way to the top. He's incredible. For Rafael Leal. Clear of Noah Lang, by the way. And then into Milan did lose to Lazio 3-1 and Romelu Lukaku did go off injured so this could potentially be a bit of a just a small hiccup for Inter or it may end up something bigger but what this does mean is although we are only three games in there are six teams on seven points so there is no team left with a 100% record now which is quite interesting and Atalanta somehow still up there despite the fact that they are not the exact same team that they were last season so now we will move on to the Bundesliga where the biggest game this past weekend was Bayern Munich versus Borussia Mönchengladbach obviously Bayern Munich had gone off to this season 100% record they were flying scoring at will and as Julian Nagelsmann's finally got his tactics right however this time it was different as they drew 1-1 with Borussia Mönchengladbach. Now, I will admit, Bayern Munich were by far the better team. Borussia Mönchengladbach had to do a lot of defending. 
Julian Nagelsmann, in fact, said that they had parked two buses, two buses behind. It is worth noting that Gladbach or Sadio Mane had two goals disallowed for offside before Christian Mönchengladbach opened the scoring from a counter-attack. And then um, they managed to hold Bayern Munich... They, Jan Sommer, the Christian Mönchengladbach goalkeeper, managed to basically single-handedly hold Bayern Munich off until Lira Zane equalised in the 83rd minute. And it was just a heroic performance from Jan Sommer. Um, it's obviously a meme that every time he plays Bayern, he turns into the best goalie in the world. He, he showed up once again, in fact. And it's worth noting that Manuel Neuer was actually quite shit in, in this game. And he has struggled in the opening few games of the season. But the focus is on Jan Sommer, about how good he was. Obviously, he, he made a Bundesliga record of 19 saves to keep up Bayern Munich. And it was just one of those great performances. But obviously, he was eventually breached. But obviously, this does show that Bayern Munich does have its weakness. Or does have its weaknesses, the fact they had so much dominance in the game and just weren't really able to do a lot. Obviously, disregarding um, Jan Sommer. But it is also worth noting that Koita Kura, who joined from Manchester City, um, he never played for Manchester City, and he was on loan at Schalke last season, has made a massive step up and has been one of the standout players for Borussia Mönchengladbach this season, and he did it again um, in this game, making some good blocks as well. Dayotupa Meccano. Obviously, last season we did speak about him, about the fact that, you know, he's a bit shit, to put it lightly. Um, over the first three games, he, he kind of stepped up and played quite well. However, he kind of was at fault as well for Borussia Mönchengladbach's goal, and Marcus Taram kind of breezed past him. So it does make you think, is the fact that you have Matthias De Ligt um, behind you, and obviously we know what De Ligt's like as a, as a defender, it, it kind of rests on your mind and puts a lot of pressure on yourself that you kind of have to perform. And if you don't, you're most likely going to lose your place to a defender to the calibre of De Ligt. I, I think that... Open Meccano should already be start being phased out of the team or Bayern should switch to a three at the back. Um, because honestly that's that's just Open Meccano's uh, best best structure really. Because he's never been a solid defender, he's just been an extremely good ball playing defender. Uh, similar to um, Mario Hermoso at uh, Atletico Madrid, who is weak uh, when teams attack him, but the dimension attack he brings when he has to play the ball out. Um, he is valuable to the team given the right conditions, but you can't have 50% of your centre-backs be weak defensively. If you have De Ligt um, and Hernandez doing most of the covering, and then you can let Upamecano kind of play on the side, take the ball when he needs to, and play up. Uh, now, and then when you're in defence, you, you, you have three centre-backs, of which two are very solid and one is alright, and then that's fine. You can play that. 
but uh, but if you have if you're going to play with two center backs you you can't really play with someone who's as not he's not bad but someone as unreliable as Upi Meccano as one of your only two center backs really um Brucey Dortmund beat Hertha Berlin 1-0 um Anthony Modest did score his first goal for Dortmund but it was just kind of another drawn out win for Dortmund and they still haven't kind of reached their potential under Edin Terzic and especially with the new signings but they did manage to phase in Salil Uzkan and Karim Adeyemi well bring Karim Adeyemi back after he went off injured in the opening in Dortmund's opening game and they are bringing to phase in Nicolas Sula as well however it was noted that Sebastian Kerr, the sporting director, did say Nicolas Sula had to lose some weight. Union Berlin are probably the surprise team of the start of the season. They did beat Schalke 6-1. And so they're just scoring at will. With Geraldo Becker once again beating one of the standout players for Union. And Jordan Pifuk did equal or did um, get or did assist Becker's twat. Becker's two goals, so it is once again Becker and Pifuk are, are showing to be a good partnership up front for Union. Um, and then Frankfurt did win their first game of the season as they beat Werder Bremen 4-3. So Werder Bremen clearly proving to be the team that are just very like chaotic. And Mario Goethe did score his first goal again back in the Bundesliga and Randall Kolo Mirani who did join from Nantes on a free transfer and was one of the standouts young players in France he like Itakura is having a very good start and it seemed to settle in very well um, at Frankfurt and there is two Pokal fixtures this week um, because the fact that Dortmund Leipzig and Bayern Munich played each other in the Pokal the same weekend as the Super Cup. Leipzig play Ottensen. There was a bit of um, issue around this as Ottensen's pitch was very dry and normally the weaker team will have the home advantage. This was not the case. The game has been moved to the Red Bull Arena and Bayern Munich play Victoria Cologne and they will play in the Rhine Energy Stadion in Cologne. We're now going to have a goal break and then we'll be back with La Liga and League 1. Welcome back from our Golson break where you just heard the Karlsruhe song. Um, we chose, or I chose that song because last weekend I did go and see Karlsruhe play Hansa Rostock um, and Karlsruhe won 2-0. So Nick, what do you rate the song out of 10? 
it's quite good. It's energetic. It's fun. It's quite unique as well. Uh, eight out of ten. It's great. I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten. Initially, when I first heard it in the stadium, I was quite skeptical. However, after I've heard it repeatedly, it's been stuck in my head this whole time. So I kind of have to rate it this highly. So now we will look at La Liga, where Robert Lewandowski has seemed to settle in very well uh, in the in La Liga. Robert Lewandowski is indeed playing quite well. Robert Lewandowski is indeed playing quite well. He is tied top scorer in the league um, after having scored uh, two goals in the last game against Valladolid. Uh, the first one came with an assist from Rafinha and the second one it was a 3-0 with an assist by Usman Dembele. Uh, we, can, we can see now that Barcelona's new front three is beginning to work together quite well as uh, well, obviously, all of these three brand new players, Dembele isn't actually new, but uh, he signed a new contract. Uh, this kind of new generation is gelling together for, for this season, uh, all being involved in each other's goals. Uh, Dembele also got another assist for Pedri in the 2-0, and Sergio Roberto scored in the last minute. This is also a very different Barca to the one that we saw in the first match of the season, where they played lethargically, without any energy and any creativity. Now they're much more active on the ball, looking for passes. It, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a refreshed mentality, shall we say. I also think it's interesting that once again, we saw Frankie de Jong uh, begin on the bench. I don't really have an explanation for this man. Like, <laughs> okay, he, he's not like 100% necessary, granted. I've said multiple times that, that he's not the best midfielder at Barcelona, right? Like quite far from it. Uh, and I do think it's better to have Gavi uh, starting in his place uh, for some games. But it's also a little bit unreasonable to like be benching him so much, especially when he was such an such an important player and he's beginning to really like get get quite a lot of experience at this point. Yeah, we we've only seen him start in one out of the two games in in one out of the three games this season, um, and in that game as well, he ended up eventually being subbed out. I, I don't think this is Xavi really trying to like freeze him out of the team, but I think it's um a tactical decision for the most part to gear around a different style of play. Except the thing is, Busquets and De Jong play quite similar stylistically. Busquets is a bit more agile, while Busquets is a bit more of a of an anchor. But I think like at this point you you can begin to switch out Busquets for Frankie, uh, and the, and the team will still work fine. Especially because Frankie's considerably younger, but uh, but that's not happening. Quite the opposite. We're seeing De Jong being uh, phased out for Busquets, even though Busquets was already there in the first place. So I don't I don't really know what's what's going on here, but but honestly, having said that, the the initial midfield three played very well. Pedri, who was kind of on and off last season after returning from from injury, had a great game again. He's been very good uh, in these first three matches. Gavi really quite good as well. Uh, putting a lot of energy and, and work into the midfield. Um, and I think if, if things keep going, like like he, he can be a star. Kunde made his debut. He was registered in time for this game, which was quite impressive. Uh, he had a pretty damn good game as well, as well as um, Alex Balde at left back, who seems like he's going to cement himself as the start, starter in that position uh, in this next season, replacing the now quite worn out um, Jordi Alba. You know, for the other games in La Liga, um, Betis uh, won 1-0 against Osasuna with a goal from Borja Iglesias, which makes him the other top scorer in the league, uh, alongside Lewandowski, each with four goals. 
there's an assist by Alex Moreno, who is like kind of has been improving quite steadily over these last few seasons, and he could prove to be uh, very important for for Betis this season as they really try and cement their their good their good run last time out. Sevilla suck. Sevilla are so bad. It's not even funny. Honestly, I think I'd rather like if I was a Sevilla fan, and I. I saw my team play one more game like this. I would probably like begin begin having seriously dark thoughts, man. Like from one from one of the best teams in Spain to like getting pushed around like anybody. Lost against Osasuna, Drugues Valladolid. By the way, two of these are like low table sides. Osasuna is actually quite fine, but but Valladolid is recently promoted. Play against Almeria, probably the easiest game they're going to have for a pretty long time, and they lose. They began they began winning winning as well with a really nice cross from Alex Teles, new signing, um, which is headed in by Oliver Torres. And it was like, oh, Sevilla's playing quite well in control of the game. Probably a 2-0 coming soon. Wrong. Belgian boy striker, Largi Ramazani, scores about 10 minutes later after a quick break. And then in the second half, instead of bouncing back, Sevilla doubled down. And they just let themselves get completely overrun by this recently promoted team. They're, they're not that special. Like sure, they managed to put one goal past Real Madrid, but but they're not crazy. A team like a team like Sevilla should be brushing them past, no problem. But no, Almeria just dominated the game. Uh, they scored the two one, ten minutes into the second half with a goal from Umar from uh, with a goal by Umar Sadik. Uh, and honestly, they could have scored the three nil at like three different occasions, three very clear occasions throughout the rest of the game, but were let down by unclinical finishing. Sevilla's defense was just so porous and bad. Maybe the departure of Kunde affect that a little bit, um, but also I think uh, Rekic, who is normally more of a CDM kind of player and not that much of a starting centre back, um, isn't that good in, in in this position and and he hasn't really been he hasn't proven much recently. He was, uh, Diego Carlos is gone as well, which is very 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 important. Uh, and alongside the departure of Kunde, their their backline is basically like mud. Also, Alex Tellers is an extremely good attacker. As I said earlier, he assisted a goal. Uh, but in defense, he kind of gets a run around. Jesus Navas, again, very good, but not the player he used to be. So basically, their back four is just absolutely suboptimal, and they haven't brought in anyone to replace. Um, literally, they're two starting centre-backs. Um, however, their defense isn't their only problem. They're pretty dead offensively as well. Papu Gomez is a flop so far. Like, honestly... Since he's, since he's come from Atalanta, we haven't seen anything, anything special from him at all. Isco occasionally comes on, hasn't really shown anything special yet, but it's early days for him, so I won't really say much. Um, Rafa Mir is a great striker, but he doesn't really get the ball very much. Then Oliver Torres is one of the few players that actually creates and actually does things in, in, in this team, honestly. But, uh, but then, yeah, they also have Lamella. He exists. Sometimes he does good stuff, but I uh, can't really count on him to be the difference maker in, in, in games. Um, every now and then he will pull out a, a nice goal here and there though I think Nasiri should be playing more honestly like I don't know why he's why he's benched for Lamella like he's he's always one of Sevilla's best players but honestly the conclusion of this is essentially Sevilla let a lot of extremely good players go and brought in pretty much nobody to replace them it is a bare team Isco on paper is an alright signing but he's like 30 you can't really have him as your star signing to replace all of these great uh, players that have left. So Sevilla is pretty mudded right now. And honestly, they're playing so badly in every part of the pitch. I don't really see them recovering anytime soon.
Having said that, I'm probably going to win next week, like 5-0. But uh, until then, that's fine. Lastly, Real Madrid, once again, comeback, comeback kings. Um, they began uh, their, their game against Espanyol um, a bit shakily. Vinicius did score uh, right from the off 10 minutes in with an assist from new star boy Tuchomeni. Um, however, they kind of fell back a little bit. Espanyol began to get back into the game and then Jose Lu equalizes just before half time. Uh, however, Real Madrid didn't really back down very easily. They went, they went out and tried to try to recover control, and do so they did. But they couldn't really break past uh, Espanyol's pretty low defensive block. They just have a habit of doing that. That's kind of their, honestly, kind of degenerate style of playing. They just go, oh, all right, we're in the lead, or we're gonna get a point from this game against a big team. That's fine. Put everyone back. Uh, so Real Madrid couldn't quite break them down. Uh, until Benzema scores a very nice half volley with an assist from, from Rodrigo in the dying minutes of the game to make it 2-1. They didn't really need to score another one, but Benzema did it anyways, and in the 100th minute, he scores a goal. Uh, Espanol goalie Benji Lecomte got sent off uh, right at the end as well after a scuffle, but uh, it is what it is. Real Madrid picked up three points in a, in a tough game. Espanol's are, Espanol are difficult opponents, and um, they don't play very nice football, so honestly, it was quite nice. Tonight, as we're recording this, Cadiz are playing uh, versus Atleti Club. That could be a, an interesting game. And Valencia are playing at home against Atleti, who are very on and off and uh, have, a, have a habit of choking against high-pressure teams like Valencia. So we're going to have to see how that goes. So yeah, now we can move on to Liga. Before we get on to our favourite thing to do, um, it's worth noting that <clears throat> Alexis Sanchez not only joined Marseille, but in his first game, he did score twice um, and helped Marseille beat Nice 3-0. So now, we had a big game this past weekend with PSG playing Monaco. This is the first proper competent team that PSG have came up against. And they drew 1-1 with Kevin Volland opening the scoring for Monaco before Neymar equalised with a penalty emphasizing it was a penalty and so what we can draw from this is that PSG may not be as good as everyone makes it out to be and what Monaco have done is quite easily found a way to beat or to get the better of them and it's a blueprint that could easily be followed by quite a lot of teams yeah honestly of course after I complimented Galtier and called him a scary manager and that Europe better be careful. The first decent team they play against kind of bollocks them. But, um, I mean, it's still early days for the team. They can improve. But uh, Monaco played a very good game to neutralise uh, just PSG's entire style of play, really. So, it'd be interesting to see if this is something that continues throughout the time. Because, obviously, regardless of the fact that we are perennial PSG haters... Um, they obviously got off to a very good start, and but now they've been exposed in a way by actually a decent team. So it will be interesting to see how this transpires, especially in in the Champions League, which we have mentioned before, maybe a bit of a weakness for PSG. Um, then moving on to the Benelux region, we saw one of the most insane pieces of business uh, we've we've seen in a long time. Ajax sold Anthony Santos, a player who's very good, very good, but probably not worth more than 50 million in my books, probably by anyone's books. 
he was sold to Manchester United for 100 million euros. That is, that is insane. That is just bonkers. Like, what do you mean 100 million euros for Anthony Santos? Once again, it sounds like I'm disrespecting him. He's, he's fine. He's a great player. And he's quite young as well. But 100 million... Five years ago, if you paid 100 million for a player, they were the best. They had to be the best player like you would find on the market. Now they're finding, now they're finding some like Eredivisie winger. One of the best Eredivisie winger, granted. But like an Eredivisie winner for that astronomical price. It's, it's crazy. This also cements an absolutely insane transfer window um, by Ajax, uh, in which they've made, including the very soon-to-be-official sale of Anthony Santos, they will have received 220 million euros from sales. For context, the, the team that made the second most from sales uh, in the Eredivisie was Feyenoord, who made about 60 million. L- literally almost one quarter of what Ajax made. PSV, the other big competitors in the league, <laughs> made 14 million from sales. Like, now Ajax have the funds to absolutely... They were already the richest team in, in the Eredivisie by a fair amount. Now they can absolutely tear the league apart. Honestly, through their, like, honestly, insane transfer business, they can absolutely dominate the league. Because, because realistically speaking, they completely highballed United and it worked. United came knocking and they were like, hey, can we have Anthony? He's quite good. And Ajax were like, no, he's not for sale. Uh, and then Man United were like, I don't care, we still want him. Uh, and then Ajax were like, fuck it, do you want to, maybe like 18 million or something? And United were like, yeah, it sounds good actually. And Ajax were like, and actually, no, 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 that's way too little. How about 100 million? And, 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 and Man United accepted. I don't think Ajax were like, these guys can't be dumb enough to accept, but they did. So honestly, like, I don't really know what the air division is going to look like three years from now with like the insane money gap that's been formed between all of these teams um also english teams are stupid and they overpay ridiculous amounts ridiculous amounts and are probably ruining the football as we know it but uh we can get to that another time but um but yeah then uh also in the jupiter pro league in belgium we saw the brussels derby between union saint-gilloise and uh anderlecht in which saint-gilloise once again for like the millionth time uh in these last two seasons beat anderlecht uh, in a in a satisfying two win victory, honestly, Sanchez Lua don't look anywhere near as strong as they did last season, and will probably not win the league again. But it's still fun to imagine. So uh, we'll see what the future brings. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, whatever. Yeah, and we'll be back later on in the week. Yep. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm.